Blog Talk Radio. Man. 
as scientists has proved who the original man is. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live. Today's topic, Memorial Day 2015 and what it means. And we're also going to talk about HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. They're facing some difficulties. Maybe we'll talk about what those difficulties are, why they are, and also what can be done to move beyond them. The main topic of our show today, though, is going to be Memorial Day. It is Memorial Day weekend. I know many of you are about ready to get your barbecue, get your party on, but what does Memorial Day really mean? What did it mean? What should it mean? Has it always been called Memorial Day? Give us a call, 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600, and let's have a little Memorial Day trivia. So who can tell me what Memorial Day was called before Memorial Day? Well, welcome to Our Own Voices Live. I am one of your hosts, Rodney Smith, and I come to you every Saturday, or just about every Saturday, unless something prevents it, to bring you another episode of Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is based off of Our Own Voices, the magazine, our print as well as digital, and its purpose was, well, the purpose of Our Own Voices Live is the spinoff of Our Own Voices magazine. And Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. No easy task by any means, but I tell you what, you can never finish if you never begin. So we got to start someplace. No time better than now and no place better than right here. Some of the ways that our own voices and our own voices lives try to bring you uh, some of these things is through basically programs like this. Uh, also, we're affiliated with Sister Angela Thomas with Needle on the Record. Gives you a little bit of music and pop culture. Uh, we also have Brother Levon hailing out of the Be More area, and he has this program that comes on a little before mine on Saturdays. That would be 8 o'clock for those of you on the East Coast. And uh, it's called Real Radio, Radio Established to Address Life. And that brother gives a slightly younger flavor, and he covers all topics. Believe me, there are none off limits. And then, of course, we have my homie, Brother Thomas Berry, broadcasting out of the Twin Cities with Rant Radio. Usually comes on Tuesdays about 7 o'clock Central Time, I believe. And that brother brings it to you raw. He brings it to you real. He brings it to you straight. No chaser. So be ready when you listen to his show. But call in, and we all have slightly different flavors. But really, we are all working towards the same purpose. And I believe here at Our Own Voices Live, if we concentrate and focus on what we have in common, we can achieve something. We can move forward. And though my way may not be your way, but does it take us to where we need to be? That's the ultimate question. And that's the ultimate goal. And that's what we try to do. 
So our own voice is live some here every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. for you East Coast listeners. And big shout-out to the East Coast listeners. You know, there's so many other things you can do with your day. I'm sure you listen to so many great programs back there, but I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us here at Our Own Voices Live. You know, this, there's been a lot of news that happened uh, locally here in Las Vegas. We had like a 5.3 earthquake, and that was followed up with some uh, four tremors. But we did have a 5.3 earthquake right here. Now, the epicenter wasn't actually here in Las Vegas. It was actually uh, further north in Cayente. But we felt it down here. And our main, uh, well, we call it the spaghetti bowl. It's where our two main uh, freeways, highways intersect, uh, US-95 and uh, I-15. It's where we all come together in the morning, headed to work. And it was closed down for a while so they could uh, check it out, make sure that it was uh, structurally sound and safe for people to uh, cross it. But for some, I'm sure that was pretty scary. I missed it. Didn't know it. I got a text telling me that we had an earthquake. That's right. I got a text. And then I have an app that tells me when we have earthquakes because I was always wondering where they are. And one of the first things I discovered is, wow, Nevada has a lot of earthquakes. But most of the time they're small. And someone told me, which I got to research, if any of you guys got any news on it, said that in tracking this particular earthquake, they discovered a fault line here in Nevada that wasn't previously known. And they found a volcano inactive, of course. Uh, Don't know that as fact yet, so somebody can Google it, look it up for me. I greatly appreciate it because that is of interest to me. Uh, so that's some of the news that has happened. Well, anyway, that's some local news that's happened. We all know that the political races are in full swing, so I hope that you all are registered to vote. And if you're not, it's never too early to go and register. So by all means, make that happen. Of course, we celebrated the birthday of Malcolm X, formerly Malcolm Little, this week with a lot of discussion on that brother. Uh, we talked about him on the show Uh, last week, and still a controversial figure. Controversy associated with him doesn't even belong to him. What do you think about that? And what do you think about him? Did he make a difference? Is he making a difference? Was it a lasting difference? You know, there's often discussion about Malcolm versus King. Well, what about Malcolm and King, and we dropped the verse? What do you think about that? So, Something to talk about. Uh, Next, hopefully, I don't know if it will be next week, but it will be coming soon. A uh, Well, someone who has a name very similar to mine, I'm Rodney Smith. Well, this was Brother Rodney Liston. And he actually broke up a girl fight. It was two on one. And there were men standing around watching, even videotaping. We're going to have him hopefully on the show to talk about that moment when he made the decision to intervene, what he was thinking as he intervened, what the aftermath of it was, and now that he's had a chance to reflect what his thoughts on it are. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is I've been seeing a whole bunch of posts on Facebook of girls fighting. Now, there's posts of a bunch of people fighting. 
But there's something about girls fighting in American society that really gets my attention. But what gets my attention even more is the amount of people who are standing around videotaping instead of breaking it up. What has gotten into us that this is a spectator when there's someone, well, there are some ones aggressing violently towards one another? So I wanted to I wanted to talk about that. The brother is taking care of his mom. Big shout out to him for doing that. So he wasn't able to make it on the show today, but hopefully we'll be able to get him on soon. And we're going to talk about this phenomenon of standing by. You know, not too long ago, there was an incident of alleged rape on a beach for a spring break party with hundreds of people witnessing the rape, with many people videotaping video recording the alleged rape, excuse me, but no one intervening to stop it. And this is not the first time. There is something going on out there. I don't think there's something good either. 347-826-9600, you can hit one on your keypad to talk and to chime in. That'll let me know that you want to talk. We're going to there's so many things that's going on, but that's that's going to be an upcoming show, and, and I just thought that I wanted to put that out to you now to let you know that it is coming up so that we can uh, have those types of discussions. Uh, it's just something going on. I don't know if it's in the water. No, we have a drought out here and in California, so it must not be something in the water. Obviously, there's something else going on, and I really think that as citizens of this great country, we need to talk about where we are, uh, where we're going, of course, discuss how we got here, and it may not be pretty. But today, today, I wanted to talk about Memorial Day and HBCUs. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk about HBCUs is because HBCUs are sort of linked to the beginning of Memorial Day. And this will give away one of the trivia questions, but uh, uh, HBCUs came about after the Civil War. And the Civil War was about partly about freeing those people to attend those HBCUs. But HBCUs are in trouble today. And it just made me wonder, how in the world could these schools be established over 100 years ago, well over 100 years ago, and thrive for so long but struggle today? So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and then later on we'll talk about Memorial Day. I want to give you a little factoid about HBCUs. HBCUs represent about 3% of the colleges and universities in this country. And of the 3% of the colleges and universities in this country that it represents, Did you know that 20% of all African Americans who graduate, graduate from HBCUs, percent of the nation's colleges and universities, but they graduate 20% of African Americans who attend college. HBCUs play an important role in America and in black America today as it did when they were first founded. 20% of all graduates. Did you know that most doctors, and I believe even dentists, lawyers, 
come from HBCUs that are black? Now, I'm not in a position to say that those numbers would be diminished, would be lower if there were no HBCUs. I can speculate, and it would be the speculation that I would make. But I can say that 20% is a pretty sizable number, considering that there are only 3% of all colleges and universities. I wonder if when you all were in high school or even middle school, if you really thought much about attending an HBCU, historically black college and university. Did you even know them? Do you know where they are? Do you know how many there are? I will admit, growing up, I did not think too much about attending HBCUs. I'm not even sure if I knew the phrase HBCU, historically black colleges and universities. Now, we can go into a lot of reasons and why maybe I didn't know. Today, there are still people who don't know about HBCUs who are black. It is up to us to inform them. Why are HBCUs important to America and to black people? Well, the initial factoids that I gave you that they only represent 3% of all colleges and universities, yet 20% of African Americans graduate from them. That's a sizable number. They also tend to be more accessible. Oftentimes, they're less expensive. BCUs have a stigma attached to them. And that stigma is that, well, they're black, so they're not as good. I had to pause on that because I understand where that comes from because that is sort of the psyche in America. We're not the majority population. We're not the dominant population. And all too often things that are black are associated with something that is negative, something bad. But many HBCUs are just as good as any other college or university. Now, there are some who are, that are not as good, no doubt, but there are some majority colleges and universities that are also not as good. Oftentimes, I hear young people tell me when we have exchanges and we have an opportunity to share and talk about history and, and where, how things used to be, they use, many times the things that I say They'll say they've never heard of it. Or maybe it was mentioned. But if you ask a person who's attended an HBCU, more times than not, they're quite familiar with what I've said. And if they're not totally familiar with it, they did hear it someplace. They have a familiarity with it. And I can tell you, for those who've taken multiple choice questions before, familiar with something can help you make the right decision. It can also equip you to receive further information. Historic black colleges and universities. They're very important to America, I believe. And 
they're definitely important to the black community. It is a sense of pride, like having a newspaper, a radio station, a television station, even a large business. It is a sense of pride. And as humans, we do need things that make us feel good about ourselves. As African Americans, there's a lot of negative stories in the news, and we're often viewed in a negative light. But when you have something like a historic black college and university in your area, or you've attended one, you tend to be able to speak about it in such a manner that gives you a boost. And we can all use a boost. So historic black colleges and universities have a very important role to play in not only this country, but and not only with black Americans, but this. Now, I want to read you a little bit, just a little overview about historic black colleges and universities. And this is from the website. Historically, black colleges and universities, HBCUs, were established to serve the educational needs of black Americans. Now, that was the opening statement in the About Me page. We talk today about the poor education that our children are receiving. Probably some validity to that. I believe parents play a huge role, a role maybe even just as important or in some cases more important than the teachers or as the teachers. So you have to have both in play, right? But that statement that says, historically black colleges and universities were established to serve the educational needs of black Americans, it is just as relevant today as it was then because it gives you a sense of who you are. It tells the story more accurately than you get it from someplace else. As a matter of fact, it tells a story that you may not hear anyplace else because all too often our story just simply isn't told. Or what is told is told with a slant. For example, our history oftentimes starts with slavery. But if, as you remember the introduction song, Kings and Queens, not that all blacks were kings and queens, but our history started long before slavery in America. But if you go to K through 12, I guess pre-K through 12 in America today, that is the predominant thought is our history started when we came here and our history started in slavery. What about the empires and dynasties in Africa? That's where we came from. That's a part of our history, too. Now, no doubt we live in America today, and we are American, African-Americans, but we are still American. Though we share much with our brothers and sisters from the motherland, we are, there are some things that distinguish us, our language, and, of course, slavery, our culture. Many people say we don't have culture. Yes, we do have culture. HBCUs are part of that culture, or it should be. 
HBCUs should be one of the first thoughts that come to mind when we think about for sure where African Americans are going to send their, their children. Now, we know that many of the majority colleges and universities get a lot of money. And oftentimes money is thrown around. And these colleges and universities, HBCUs, do struggle with a lack of money. But that is not their biggest problem. Now, if you compare the endowments of HBCUs to majority universities, a Harvard or a Yale may receive an endowment that's larger than all the HBCUs put together. That's one college, one university may receive an endowment or endowment valued at more than all of the HBCU endowments combined. That's right. So one of the things that we can do to help shore up our HBCUs is to make sure that they have the money that they need to educate those folks who come through their doors. And one of the ways to do that is with endowments, those who've attended these HBCUs, to give back so that they can be there for the next generation. And I'm going to throw it out there. We oftentimes associate endowments with, well, that's rich people. And no doubt there are rich people who do that. You, too, can be rich. And this has a little something to do with estate planning, which we've talked about many times on the show. But we're all going to leave this earthly plane at one day. Suppose each one of us took out a $10,000, and I'm just throwing a number out because it's relatively small on what you would have to pay per month. But suppose each one of us took out a $10,000 life insurance policy on top of the other life insurance policy we have for the furtherance of our family. So suppose we took out a separate life insurance policy. I'm saying $10,000. Could be less, could be more. And we sent it to the Negro College, United Negro College Fund, or we picked a specific HBCU to leave that $10,000 to. Can you imagine the income that those HBCUs would have, the legacy that we would live, that we would leave, that would live on long past us. Just a thought. Sometimes we need to plant seeds. Well, there's a seed. Hopefully there's some soil that it's embedded itself into and that it will grow. But the number one issue, according to one of the talking heads on one of the news programs this week is not that HBCUs are underfunded because that's a systemic issue, yes, but it's leadership. And when he said leadership, it rang a bell with me because that may be one of the top, if not the number one concern in the black community is leadership. I'd say it's a concern in all of America is good leadership, but for sure in the African-American community. 
and what he meant by good leadership, he said, hey, I know some majority colleges and universities that have endowments of $750 million. It's totally separate from the tuitions that they receive and any grants or government subsidies, anything like that. He said $750 million, and they're still closing their doors or having problems. So he says it's not the money, even though money is a factor, just like it's not money in pre-K through 12, though it is a factor. He said the number one issue was leadership. You can have a lot of money, but if you have poor leadership, the school can still be in trouble. Your community can still be in trouble. African Americans have over a trillion dollars of spending power. But yet, we see ourselves, and other people see ourselves, and we act as if we're poor. In reality, we're rich. Someone told me it's not how much money you have. It is what you do with the money that you have. That's the case with HBCU. What are they doing with the money that they have? How are they improving their campuses? How are they relevant to the needs of today's young people who want to enter the labor force and those who need to expand their mind? BCUs can play a huge role into bringing about cultural awareness to ourselves about us and also to others about us. But they need our support but they need leadership. In leadership, part of it is, are the courses relevant to today's needs? Are the degree programs for the needs of the people and what the people want to take? Because if they're not, then what good are having those degree programs that people either can't get a job afterwards or they just don't want to take initially. Numbers become in the negative because of not having the product, goods, or services that your customer base wants and or needs. Well, we're at the top of the hour. It is 1 o'clock here on the West Coast. That means it's 4 o'clock station ID. I am Rodney Smith, one of your hosts for Our Own Voices Live today. Our Own Voices Live comes on every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast, 3.30 p.m. for those of you back east. And our topic today, topics today, is HBCUs and historically black colleges, universities, and, of course, Memorial Day. This is Memorial Day weekend. This is the weekend where there's some big sales, there's an extra day off, Monday, some people even had a four-day weekend with Friday, yesterday off. A lot of concerts and white parties because, you know, Memorial Day, you can wear white. (laughs) A little trivia question. So are you aware of where Memorial Day came from? Do you know what it was called before it was called Memorial Day? Do you know where one of the first observances was held? Well, we're going to discuss that a little later in the show as we talked about Memorial Day. You know, one of the other things about the month of May is Asian American Heritage Month, but it it is also National Military Appreciation Month. 
And there are a lot of businesses who are recognizing those who have served and are providing their goods and services to you at some type of discounted rate or in some cases actually free. In Las Vegas, some of the hotels are offering free free rooms for a night. Many businesses across the nation, restaurants, are offering free meals to veterans and active duty members. I hope that you all will take advantage of that. We know that it has a lot to do with marketing. Get it. But it's also their way of recognizing the sacrifice that the 1% makes for the 99%. So we'll talk a little bit about more about Memorial Day in the second half of our show. Uh, one of the listeners out there has given us a website, and I'll post it on, in the chat room, and I'll paste it on the Facebook page a little, lower, a little later. website does is it actually gives you some information about HBCUs. Uh, it'll tell you if there's one in your local state, your state, and it'll give you some tuition prices. Uh, tuition is going up everywhere, including with HBCUs. It is just a fact of the times that we're in today. Now you can do that research and find out for yourself. Equip yourself with information so that you can make a better and more informed decision and help that young person in your life make that decision. Knowledge is power, right? So the more knowledge, the more powerful that you are. I believe it's the more powerful and the more informed decisions that you will make. So I just posted it on in the chat room. So by all means, click on that link and uh, go there, check it out, copy and paste it, uh, get that information. When we talk about the reason for HBCUs, let me read that reason for you again because, like I said, it's just as germane today as it was then. It says, historically black colleges and universities were established to serve the educational needs of black Americans. We still have educational needs that are not being addressed in in majority schools. If we want to improve ourselves and you're going to schools that are more geared towards the majority population, okay, we get that. But then maybe you need to do something different. If those schools are not doing what you need, maybe you need to do something different. And just like we have HBCUs, suppose we had black public black elementary schools, black middle schools, black high schools. Now, as I'm saying that, some people will say, well, that's self-segregation. Well, segregation by itself in certain areas may not be a bad thing. For example, we know that black students tend to do better when they're in classes of a single gender. In other words, black males 
go to school with black males. Black females go to school with black females. We know that black males, for sure, do better. That's a form of segregation, too. But it's something that works, and it improves it. Here's the thing. We may not be able to control the majority schools because we are not the majority. But surely if we had our own schools, we then become the majority and then have the control. Now, just because we are the majority does not necessarily mean automatic success. It means we have to work at it to build it so that it can be what we want it to be with the desired outcome. One of the other reasons why I think this is important is because we often talk about what is being done to us or not done for us. But if we have our own thing, then we can ensure that the things that we need are done. It also takes away the idea of blaming our issues on someone else. I'm not saying that they're not contributing factors by others. What I am saying is like all too many things in America, we take it to extremes, and then that becomes the thing that's holding us back. We have plenty of examples of many Americans, African Americans, who've done well in life and who've gone to public school. And we know that the majority of our children who go to public school. And I believe we are coming close, if not achieving the goal of having 50% of our black males graduating on time from public high school. Now, some people might say 50%. He's crowing about 50%. Well, just a couple of years ago, it was 47%. So we've had an increase of about 3%. That's a whole lot of students who are now graduating from high school who now have the opportunity to go to HBCUs. But that number should be higher. It's not just the education. It's the type of education. Because, see, you can be educated on something and still know nothing about how to progress. We need to know about ourselves. We need to know true history. We need to know, we even need to learn more about our culture. And we live in it every day. We need to know historically about our culture because we have a lot of misconceptions about it. I'm a child of the 60s. So obviously it wasn't that long or far from the time I was born when there was the Korean War. The World War II hadn't been over that long. It hadn't been 20 years. When I was born, that World War II was over. The generations in America pretty much stayed the same 
up until the 60s. So that means that everyone who came after the 60s saw something that was relatively new in this country. Well, I lived through the 60s. I know from firsthand experience some of what it was like before the 60s. Well, that's very important because there's power in that. Knowing it for yourself. When I hear people talk about how we are today and what they related to, and I, from my experiences, what they're talking about has nothing to do with what really is, but it's because they didn't have that experience. Well, there's so many that have come now, don't have that experience, and there are so many of our greatest generation that has moved off of this earthly plane that my generation, which happens to be the baby boomers, and we get blamed for a lot, and probably rightfully so, but just as much as maybe we didn't get right, there's a whole lot of things that we did get right and that we made better. So you kind of have to, this depends on how you look at it. For sure, one of the things that we have was a direct connection with the greatest generation, those people, those African-Americans, pre-civil rights era, those African-Americans who the only thing that they knew was Jim Crow. See, I was born during Jim Crow. Any idea, any concept of what that was like? Reading about it is one thing. Living it is something totally different. Many of those HBCUs started out in the South. The South was not about educating black people. Remember, they had just been slaves. And it was against law to educate blacks. One of the first things that we wanted was we wanted that education. And we worked towards those HBCUs. And we attended them. And we graduated. And many of our great leaders, our great minds, came from HBCUs. And many of them who may have gone to majority schools went to HBCUs to help infuse them with even more knowledge, to make them better. You know, people talk about Harvard, I say Howard. That's right. They talk about Harvard, I say Howard. To me, Howard is our Harvard. If since the majority, and they set the standards right, well, Howard. And we should take pride in that. And we should take pride into consistently making it better. I could really go on and on about HBCU. And again, it is not something that I grew up really knowing about. For those states that don't have HBCUs, and, and there's a bunch that don't, most HBCUs are in the South and primarily in the Southeast. Not all, but most. A lot of them now are starting to or have online programs. And I am so happy to see that. I don't have a degree from an HBCU, but I'm looking through the degree program that HBCUs offer, and I'm going to, my plan is to take an online course from an HBCU. And one day, 
hopefully to have some paper from an HBCU. I want that to be a legacy that I pass on to whoever that might be inspired by it. That I didn't just talk about it, but I put my words to action. HBCUs. They are something that's very important to our country. And check out some of the links. I'll post uh, some more links as I get them and, and get time for you to go through them. To me, investing in HBCUs with an endowment, investing in HBCUs by talking about them, investing in HBCUs by sending our children to them, is something that is important and that will uplift us as a people and really our nation. CUs, historic black colleges and universities. Think about them. Seriously think about them. If you don't get your bachelor's, then go for your master's. Think about them. 3% of all colleges and universities in the nation representing 20% of all African-American graduates in the nation. We need them. But those HBCUs also need us to support them. Pretty much concludes the segment on HBCUs. Uh, give us a call, 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. If you've attended an HBCU, I would love to know what your experience was like, the positive portion of it. What did you get from it that maybe you wouldn't have gotten from attending a majority school? Would you send your children to an HBCU? And what suggestions do you have for HBCU? Because you've attended so you know, and we should constantly strive to make ourselves better. This is no different. The second half of our show is about Memorial Day. And Memorial Day tends to be a somber holiday. (laughs) It tends to be a somber holiday. You know, we recently had the passing of a legend, D.B. King, and we talked about him last week on the show, and he had his memorial service yesterday, and it was somber. Memorial Day is a somber holiday. It's something that we should celebrate, but it's not one of those ruckus type of celebrations. It's not one of those celebrations where when you think about the meaning of Memorial Day, you get a lot of joy. Many people feel a a little down, and that's okay. And maybe you should because it, it is a solemn day. Memorial Day is a day that our nation sets aside every year primarily to honor and to remember Americans who served in the defense of this nation and made the ultimate sacrifice their life. There are people who may give money. There are people who 
give time. There are people who give expertise. There's people who give love. There are people who give a lot of things. But how many are willing to give their life? Oftentimes, for the majority of people, actually all the time, for the majority of people that they don't even know. When a person serves in the United States Armed Forces, there's no draft today. But when a person serves in the United States Armed Forces, less than 1% of our population has ever served. That 1% ensures the safety and security of the 99%. And that 1% probably only knows about 3% of the 99%. But yet, they will still give their life for the other 96% of people that they don't know and would never know. Memorial Day gives us an opportunity to reflect on those who have. It is a time for us to go to the local veteran cemetery, listen to some people speak, maybe see some veteran somber song. But it is a time that we should spend to recognize our war dead and those who are still sacrificing today. When you think of the impact of losing someone in combat or serving their country, it is a loss to the country. And, of course, it is a loss to the family, a big loss to the family, a loss to the family that really can never be recovered. And, of course, Memorial Day is a time to celebrate it. It's a time really to remember it and to celebrate those, the lives of those who made the ultimate sacrifice. But hopefully it's also a time when we reflect on the wars that we've had, the conflicts that we've had, to help us make better decisions on where we will send our future young men and women to fight the next battle. All too often, the decision makers don't have any skin in the game. Most of our politicians have not served. Most of our politicians' children have not served. That's why they make such a big deal over it when a politician's child is in the service. It is a huge commitment to say that I will give my life for any one person. These individuals, when they take that oath up and listen, they're saying that they will give their lives for any and all Americans. It doesn't make any difference what political affiliation, religion, Ethnicity, they are saying, gender, they are saying that they will give their life for all of those who make up America. Even people that they disagree with, even people who may not like them. It doesn't make any difference what 
party that their commander-in-chief belongs to. The president is the president to a military member. Yes, as a military member, you can vote. Yes, you can vote Democrat, Republican, a combination, or independent, anybody else on the ballot, or none of the above. But when that order comes down from the commander-in-chief, who is also our president, we salute smartly about faith and go forward and execute the mission. That's our job. That's their job. And they execute the mission up into success, death, or withdrawal because that's their mission. That's their job. And when you think about it, we send the best that we have into harm's way. Did you know that the Army has said that only 20% or close to 20% all Americans from the age of 17 and a half to 25 are eligible for Army service? So if you look at that as a high standard, that means that those folks who are selected from that 20%, roughly 20%, you can say we're getting the cream of the crop. Then we should treat them like the best. We should treat them like the best to make sure that they have the training and equipment to execute that mission from the commander-in-chief who was elected by all Americans. But once the conflict is over, or once their role in the conflict or service time is over, they come back home. And when they come back home, do we receive them as the cream of the crop? Do we receive them as the 1% that went out to secure life, liberty, and the pursuit of freedom. Do we treat them like that? You know, if you want to, if you ask someone how, who's homeless on the street, normally what we hear today is it's a veteran. And it's a good possibility if it's an older veteran, it's a Vietnam War era veteran a very politicized war, as all wars are political, and let's get that straight. A war happens because politicians weren't able to come to an agreement so that we can move on in a civil manner. Some people say it's a breakdown of the political system. Maybe so. Well, when that happens, opposing sides usually call on their best to go out to make whatever point that they need or feel needs to be made. The military are not the politicians. The military don't start the wars. They do not even end the wars. They will conduct actions that will lead to the end of the war. And hopefully when that war is over, we will be victorious. But a war happens with a military member most times in America today overseas. So in the history of our country, obviously, we had the Civil War. But what happens when that 
service member comes home. Sometimes there's another war that they have to fight. And it's a lonely war. It's a war oftentimes within themselves, though it may deal with external things. Ultimately, that war is within themselves. Taking lives and being in an environment where lives are taken, being in an environment where people are hurt, is not the norm. That burden is on that 1%. And of that 1% that's sent with that awesome responsibility, it's an even smaller fraction of that that actually go into combat. So even the 1% isn't the majority that's doing the fighting. It's a much smaller percentage. I want you to think about those numbers. I want you to take like a little pill or something, then put it next to a racquetball, then put it next to a basketball. So you can have some type of comparison, and I'm not even sure if that's equivalent. Folks who are securing the foundation principles of this country a very small percentage when those young men and young women and sometimes not so young men and women return home what do they return home to they may have worked 20 years if they made it to retirement do they come back home to where they can go back to work and provide for their family are our families prepared for them being a little different they've seen things they've seen people hurt Maybe they were the ones who did the hurting. They've seen people killed. Maybe they did the killing. That does change a person. Are we, for those of us who are here at home, are we ready to receive them when they come back a little different? To the spouses of those men and women who serve, are you ready to be there for him or her? Do you know how to do it? Have you prepared yourself, not just for yourself, but also for him or her? I I came back from the war broken. Physically, not so much mentally, at least not at first. Physically, I was. And the majority of the effort was on my physical reconditioning. And when I was in the hospital and getting treatment, there were others whose wounds were not as visible as mine, wounds of the mind. And then there were those who had wounds of the brain. Many of us know about PTSD, but very few know about TBI. PTSD is the mental wound, right? post-traumatic stress disorder. But TBI, traumatic brain injury, is the physical wound of the brain that can have something similar to the mental or emotional wound of the brain. But there are different things, and they're treated differently. And all too often, misdiagnosis leads to mistreatment. So a person who has TBI doesn't have an emotional or mental issue. They have a physical issue. But because they may be given psychotropic drugs, it creates then a chemical imbalance, and now they do have 
a mental or emotional issue and going unchecked, it get worse because typically what happens is, oh, if this drug doesn't work, well, let me try a higher dosage. Oh, if the higher dosage, let me, just let me try a more powerful psychotropic drug in general. And now they've been induced with this mental disorder. So that's something that we need to be on the lookout. Many of our military members, when they return home, they may not know that they have an issue outside of, like myself. It was obvious to see the physical, but really wasn't cognizant of other things. And that's when family and friends really come into play. That's when, yeah, we're going to be different. But then there's differences that are hurtful. There are differences that are damaging, impairing. One of my close associates, she's sort of like a traveling nurse, and she does evaluations on people, and she has an additional skill as she does psychological evaluations on people. And had I had my thinking cap on, I would have invited her onto the show today if she had time to do it. Because I would love to hear what she's seeing when she encounters people or patients who are products of these conflicts that we've had over the last 20 years. How important it is for family members and loved ones and coworkers to be able to look at these people and see when there's something that's not quite like what they should be, especially those who were guardsmen and reservists who were sent off to do their, they activated and did their time, and now they're back with their coworkers, and maybe their work is not the same. Maybe they're more quiet. Maybe they're more talkative. Maybe they're more emotional. Maybe there's no emotive. Those are symptoms that there's something that may not be quite right. But sometimes those people who are going through it are not in a position to see it, or maybe even they see it, but they're just not in a position to ask for help. I realize it can be very delicate when you see something may not be quite clicking and to go to someone to address it. I'll tell you this. Maybe it's uncomfortable, but not nearly as uncomfortable as the number of suicides that happen per day in this country of military members, active, retired, inactive, who are committing suicide, ending their lives, because they are not able to deal with whatever is going on with them, both physically and mentally. It is okay if you wait a two doing nothing, which could lead to something terrible happening, or doing something and maybe be a little embarrassed and a little uncomfortable. Wait, wait that, and then make the decision based off of that. Whatever you come up with, for some people it'll it'll be different. That's okay, but I just want you to think about it. Holidays and Memorial Day is no different. It is one of the leading times of suicide. Leading up to the holiday, the actual holiday, and shortly after the holiday. 
those are times when those numbers go up. Look, if, if you know you have someone in your family, immediate or extended family, a co-worker, an associate, maybe you know that they're going through something, maybe not. Sometimes that is hearing someone's voice, just chatting with them, not even hey, I think you need help or anything like that, but really just someone calling. Hey, how are you? What's going on? What's going on for the weekend? You want to come over? You want to hang out? Or maybe not, because maybe you don't know them that way. Uh, Anything going on? Just, you know, talking with them, sharing. I know people, military members, who were contemplating ending their life, who had made the plan, had the gun, and were ready to end their life. And the reason why they're still here today are even productive citizens is because the phone rang. There was a knock at the door. Someone came into their room, which became their fortress, and says, hi, how are you? What's going on? Spending time with them. They put the gun down. A simple phone call. When you survive the horrors of war and then come home, and in your own life. It's obviously a choice that the individual makes, but it's also representative of a failure to those service members who made the ultimate sacrifice and to those who went out willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, who who survived that, but then came home and ended it all. You know, we can talk about the burgers, which I made barbecue. I'm not sure yet. I've gotten away from doing that actually on Memorial Day on that weekend. But I might. But I will say this. One thing I know I will do this show is that I know I will call at least one person that served or and a relative of a person who served and say, how are you? A barrigada. Because I just don't know what their state of mind is. Take a moment to talk about the service member who comes home who has a mental impairment or physical. That is severe unto itself. But that caregiver that family member, that husband, that wife, that child, that mother, the girlfriend, whoever it may be, though they did not enlist because of their relationship to the member who did, they're serving in a capacity. 
And it's a great capacity because they're the closest one to that individual. No one in their right mind wants to see a loved one suffering, whether it's mental or physical. Loved one. Life is turned upside down and pulled inside out, providing care for that loved one. It is something that is very demanding. And all too often, the caregiver needs care because it is demanding. From a woman's perspective, her husband goes off to war. Maybe they just got married, haven't been married that long. In some cases, haven't even had a chance to get to know each other that well. And he's gone. And he comes back home. He was that loving, caring, gentleman, thoughtful, but now he's a little quiet maybe. He's a little distant. Or he is he is more boisterous. He's a little angry. He has outbursts. Maybe certain sounds cause him to really cower, dive under the table in some severe cases. Maybe they have anxiety attacks. Maybe they just have bouts of depression. It's tough because you knew him as what he had been. You prayed and you hoped for the best while he was gone and you tried to do things that he would be proud of and you wanted to have the house just right. Whatever it might have been that you thought he would like. But then he comes home and none of that matters because that's not where their focus is. No matter what you do right, he still sees wrong in it. And I'm just giving this as a hypothetical, but this is a there are true situations based off of this that this is based from. Now you, who've been waiting and or building your life, have this man stronger than you, bigger than you. Maybe you're a little afraid of him, and rightfully so. There's some very important decisions that have to be made of how you need to cope with him, what's best for you, and what you can do for him that will be best for him. And, you know, in this conflict in modern times, there was a time in America where it's never been exclusively to men fighting. Women have always been fighters and contributors in the war effort in this country. But now we're in a time where women are really integrated into the war effort. And as our population shrinks and as our pool of eligible men shrink, there will be even more women in the service. But what about the women who were in combat as well? Now, we know by law only certain career fields, MOSs, were supposed to be in combat. Now, the enemy 
doesn't have any respect for our laws. That's partly why we're fighting, right? So they don't care that the woman, women, were not supposed to be in combat. The combat is where the combat is. So we have our women who should not have been in combat who were in combat. And now that many of those career fields that were off limits to women previously have been opened up to women. And for sure, they're going to be in combat and are in combat. But unfortunately, many of our women, when they return, yes, they have some of the same issues as the men. And they may even have more and different issues because women are different. Doesn't mean they're any less. Just means they're different. Our hospitals, our services, traditionally have been geared towards men because traditionally that was the vast majority of people in the military and who fought. More and more of our women are in the military and more and more of them are in combat. Our facilities may not be geared to them. One of the we have to do as a country is be willing to spend the money to fund our veterans administration, the care facilities, and the military in general to be able to accommodate our female warriors. Privacy issues at facilities, yes, they're different, and they have different needs. It's not really for me to determine whether it's a valid need. It is their need. And, yes, they have PTSD. They have TBI, just like men. They need those services. And then there's some things that may impact women differently than it impacts men. We need to have our eyes and ears open for that to ensure that they get that type of treatment that they need to help make them whole. The bullet that the enemy fires, if it's headed towards a female, it doesn't curve because it's a woman. The eyes of the woman are not suddenly covered when her friend is blown up right next to her and maybe the entrails splatter on her. It doesn't change the impact that that has. That bullet, it doesn't care. That mortar doesn't care. Our women are in combat just like men are today. And they need to have the same care, level of care afforded to them as the men. They need to be recognized as warriors. That does something for the psyche. They contributed the same. They should be treated the same. I know some women maybe who should have a wartime decoration, but because they weren't supposed to be in combat, they aren't allowed that. And she, as an African-American, as a black man, I know what it's like to see other people who've done the same thing that I've done get rewarded in a certain manner. But because of who I am, even though I did the same thing, I don't receive that award. I know that feeling. That's a feeling I don't want anyone else to feel, and I surely don't want our women to feel. So 
women tend to be more emotional. I know I said something that people might take offense to. But they, and sometimes it makes it a little more difficult to decipher that this is something else. We just need to pay attention. We need to embrace them too. We need to look after them and watch them and see what they're going through and how do they act. Uh, you know, I'm getting a, a lot of uh, support from one of my listeners with some wonderful websites. I'm going to post on the, in the chat room and on the Our Own Voices live page about suicide, have one about uh, women's health, have one about Army uh, suicide. It's just terrible. They survive it and they come home. And then let's not talk about the dealing with the police once they come home. We need to get our first responders. And I've been ta- I talk about this every Memorial Day show. We need to get our first responders trained to deal with our military brothers and sisters who have returned, their behavior, their conduct may be different. They may even hear things and perceive it differently. They may see something, and it seems different to them by virtue of the environments in which they came from. Our men and women who serve, who come home, who are having difficulties, are in jeopardy of being mistreated by a first response. Mistreated, brutalized. Matter of fact, there's a case of that just recently. A, a black uh, army sergeant served, I believe, two tours in the desert. Went into jail, had a DUI, turned himself in, turned himself in. But he didn't make it out of the jail alive, killed by police. He had a medical issue. And the medical issue turned into the police killing. We have to train our first responders to be able to deal better with people in general, with black people, with military people. And if you're black and military, wow, almost a double whammy, right? We need to look out for them. I'm asking you over the weekend, if you can do it each day, that would be great. Maybe one person, whether family or friend, maybe even the loved one that's right next to you. Just spend a little extra time with them. Do some extra observation. Call them. If there's that person that you used to be tight with and they left and went to war and they came back and you're not quite as close, you still have their number, you still have their Facebook page, send them a Facebook IM, send them a Facebook hello, send them a text message, give them a call, see what they're doing. Just do do like a, a goodwill check. Maybe just call and just chat with them, catch up. It can make a difference to them. And maybe that difference is whether they lift that gun or they put that gun down. Domestic violence, huge among 
many of our service members who come back home. And we can call it, oh, that's just men being men. But were they that way before they left? Because if they weren't, it's quite possible that that's a sign that they're having some issues. Help them get the treatment that they need. Protect yourself, of course. Always protect yourself. But do what you can. Somebody that you love, that's somebody that you care for. Spend time with them. Some may want to talk about what they've gone through. Others may not. It's their choice. Honor their choice. At least reach out to them and give them the choice. Otherwise, they have no choice, right? These are things that we should do not just on Memorial Day weekend and Memorial Day, but all through the year. The beauty of having a day like Memorial Day is maybe we get a little complacent throughout the year. Memorial Day to remember, to reflect back, to make an effort, to rekindle that that was in us. So I think it's a good holiday. If you do flip your burgers, maybe call over a, a veteran, an active duty member. If you have never been to a Memorial Day service at your local veteran cemetery, take an opportunity to go. Take your children. If you've never been, maybe you want to go first before you take your children to get an idea of it, and that's okay. Then you'll go twice because then next year you'll take your children. Take some time. I posted on the uh, radio show page a bunch of memorials uh, that's been set up, and there's more. Uh, there's veteran service organizations. There's the VSW. There's the American Legion. There's the Military Order of the Purple Heart. There's disabled veterans of disabled American veterans. So many organizations out there. Maybe you can volunteer with one once a month, once every six months. You can do something. And then, too, these people have experiences, travel, that many Americans never have an opportunity to experience. Ask them, if you don't want to talk to them or they don't want to talk about their war experience, maybe they're willing to talk about their travel experience, where they've been, what they've seen, the differences, comparing and contrasting, the beauty Maybe they've been to other states here in America that they normally wouldn't have considered going to, but they saw something. Well, there's so many things you can talk to a veteran about. Pick, pick one and talk about it. Spend some time with a veteran, I guess. Spend some time with an active duty member. Those active duty members, they're in it every day. They have to put that uniform on. They don't get away from it. Some people say, well, yeah, they go out and they come back. Well, sometimes they go out and they stay out. And maybe it's days or weeks at a time. Maybe months at a time. Maybe some are always outside the wire. Maybe some are inside the wire, but they have to go outside every day. They don't have that relief. They don't have that family member. You know, when we talk about our first responders 
in the state, in the city, typically those police officers get to go home every night. Those firefighters get to go home every week to their loved ones in some horrendous conditions. Not all, but quite, quite a few. And they may be different. Maybe they need a little time. Maybe they need a little love, a little hug, some conversation, maybe some peace. But they will always need someone to look in on. So at the top of the the show and at the top of this segment, I asked you some questions about Memorial Day. And one of the questions I asked was, what was Memorial Day before it was Memorial Day? And the answer is before Memorial Day was Memorial Day, it was called, drum roll please, it was called Decoration Day. Memorial Day was called Decoration Day. And Memorial Day was a time, or Decoration Day, was a time when citizens oftentimes went and decorated the graves of the fallen. So the answer to one of the questions is Memorial Day was Decoration Day. Uh, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day, totally different holiday, and uh, we should recognize it as such. Now, there is a tradition on Memorial Day to put poppies on the graves or have them as decoration or emblems of remembrance. Well, it really comes down to a battle in Flounder's Field. And poem that was written about this. And there's an opening line in the poem that talks about it. And it says, and this is about war, World War One. And it says, in Flounder's Field, the poppies blow. And then it goes on to say, between the crosses row on row that mark our singing fly sacred scared herald amid the guns below we are the dead short days ago we lived felt dawn saw sunset glow loved and were loved and now we lie in flounder's field take up our quarrel with the foe To you from failing hands we throw The torch Be yours to hold it high If ye break Faith with us who die We shall not sleep Though poppies grow In flounders field So The poppies became a tradition Really based off Of this poem And it was from a battle And I believe it was In 19... 15 and gas was used in the world war one all wars are brutal world war one had a particular brutality because chemicals were used why we have these many prohibitions against them today 
You know, I also wanted to tell you that one of the things about the uh, Memorial Day is Memorial Day also had its roots back to the South, but it also had its roots back to a prison where Union soldiers were held, and I think it was like 217 of them died. And these 217 people that died, Negroes is what they were called at the time, freed and some who were still enslaved. And that's part of the tradition of Decoration Day and ultimately Memorial Day. And there's a lot more trivia associated with Memorial Day. If you have your barbecue, remember those who have had their last barbecue. If you have a chance, go to our nation's cemetery and take in some of the many observances of Memorial Day, playing of taps by the bugler, the many words of those elected officials. You know, it's not when the men and women return from war and the politicians pat them and thank them, but it's what they do after they've been home from war what those politicians do for them then, what we do for them as a nation. And that's paraphrasing former President John Fitzgerald Kennedy, a veteran himself. That is our show for today, Our Own Voices Live. And we talked about this being National Military Appreciation Month and this being Memorial Day. And we also talked at the top of the show about HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. I'll post some more links up to our Facebook page as time goes on. Enjoy the barbecues. Enjoy the parties. But please take time out to talk to a vet. Take time to call a vet. Drop a line if you can. Spend some time is even better. Visit a wounded warrior, whether at home or in a hospital. Maybe give an extra hug hug to a loved one, whether it's the one who needs the care or the caregiver, because the caregiver is fighting a war too, an extended battle that for some will never end. Well, in memory of those who have fallen, those who have made the ultimate sacrifice, those who have shed blood for this country, In memory of my friend, Bill McDaniel, Special Forces, pararescueman, made the ultimate sacrifice before many of us have even heard the word al-Qaeda, the phrase. To so many others who've fallen, who've made that ultimate sacrifice in the model of some Special Forces organizations so others may live. I want to play Taps, and that's what will close out our show. We'll be back next Saturday, 12.30 p.m. West Coast, 3.30 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast. I hope you'll join us, and I hope you'll go to our own Voices Live Facebook page between now and then. Share your memories as a veteran. Share your memories of a veteran. If you went out, share your pictures. If you had a chance to visit with a veteran or go to a cemetery and witness it, 
share your story. I'd like to hear it. It may help someone. Until next time, many blessings.